Alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ufiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shuroori anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamuwillalah wa man yubulil falahadiyalah wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharikalah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh Amma ba'd. So continuing with Kitab al-Tawheed, we are in the chapter Babu ma jaa fi himayat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam janab al-Tawheed. A chapter regarding how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam preserved and guarded over Tawheed and blocked all of the pathways <coughs> that can lead to shirk. And we arrived at the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تجعلوا بيوتكم قبورا ولا تجعلوا قبري عيدا وَصَلُّوا عَلَيَّ فَإِنَّ صَلَاتَكُمْ تَبْلُغُنِي حَيْثُ كُنْتُمْ رواه أبو داود بإسناد حسن ورواته ثقات In this hadith of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه He said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said do not make your homes as graves. Do not make your homes like graves or graveyards. And do not make my grave an Eid. And we'll come to the explanation of what that means. Making the grave of the messenger an Eid. So do not make my grave an Eid. And send your prayers upon me. For indeed your prayers, they reach me wherever you may be. In this hadith, there are three parts to it. The first part... The Prophet ﷺ said, Do not make your homes like graves or like the graveyards. And the meaning of that is, لا تعطل البيوت من ذكر الله. Do not make your homes absent from the remembrance of Allah. Because at the graveyards, apart from the specific du'as, etc. that are mentioned, otherwise the graveyards are not a place of worship. Otherwise the graveyards are not a place of worship. So the meaning of this narration, do not make your homes like the graves, Meaning, don't make your homes like the graveyards where you do no worship. Do not make your homes absent from the worship and the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَلَا تُعَطِّلُوا الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَمِنْ صَلَاةِ النَّافِلَةِ وَتِلَاوَةِ الْقُرْآنِ So do not make your homes absent of the remembrance of Allah and from the supererogatory prayers and from the recitation of the Qur'an. Do not make your homes empty from these types of worship and these remembrances. لِأَنَّهَا إِذَا عُطِّلَتْ صَارَتْ مِثْلَ الْقُبُورِ Because if the homes 
they become empty from the remembrance of Allah, from the supererogatory prayers, from the recitation of the Qur'an, then your homes, they become like the graves, they become like the graveyards, places where Qur'an is not recited, places where supererogatory prayers are not prayed, where the remembrance of Allah is not done. لِأَنَّ الْقُبُورِ لَيْسَ فِيهَا عَمَلٍ Because the graves, there is no action to be done there. خَاوِيَةٍ خَالِيَةٍ حُفَرْ مُظْلِمَةٍ Because the actual graves, there is no worship in the actual graves. There is no action to be done upon the actual graves. They are empty and void, and they are dark pits, those graves. إِلَّا مَنْ نَوَّرَهَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ بِنُورِ الْإِيمَانِ الَّذِي سَبَقَ لَهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Except for the graves, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enlightens, puts light into those graves because of the iman those inhabitants were upon in this world. فَهَذَا فِيهِ الْعِنَايَةِ بِالْبُيُوتِ This narration therefore indicates the need to look after our homes, to make sure that our homes, the homes of the Muslims, they are filled with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are filled with recitation of the Qur'an. They are filled with supererogatory prayers because even for the men, the supererogatory prayers are better in the mosque or in the home? In the home. The supererogatory prayers, the sunnah prayers, the nafal prayers, even for the men, they are better in the home because of the narration that all of the prayers are better in the home except the maktubat, except the five daily obligatory prayers. Those five prayers outside of them, the sunnas, the nafal, all of the rest, it is better to pray them in the homes. And to do a lot of the remembrance of Allah. بَلْ إِنَّ الرَّسُولَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَمَرَ بِأَنْ تُجْعَلَ النَّوَافِلَ الَّتِي لَا تُشْرَعْ لَهَا الْجَمَاعَةِ كُلَّهَا فِي الْبُيُوتِ The Messenger even mentioned or legislated that all of the supererogatory prayers that do not require congregation, that they are better in the homes. So supererogatory prayers, nafal prayers, they are better in the home unless they are the type of supererogatory prayer that requires congregation like. Like the taraweeh prayer, like the taraweeh prayer, that is something that is done in Ramadan in congregation. So that is better in the masjid. Whereas general other supererogatory and nafa prayers are better at home. And that statement that all of the supererogatory prayers are better in the home except for the ones that require congregation is not necessarily a principle because there are some scholars who say, where have you got that principle from? They say, is there something in the religion to highlight that the congregational prayers which require jama'ah are better outside in the mosque? 
Some of them say there is no proof for that. And so some scholars have the opinion all supererogatory prayers are better at home, even the taraweeh prayer. But the best and the strongest opinion on that is that the taraweeh is better in the jama'ah, in the masjid, than at home. لِأَنَّهَا إِذَا عُمِّرَتْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ ابْتَعَدَتْ عَنْهَا الشَّيَاطِينَ Because if the homes are filled with the remembrance of Allah, then the shayateen will flee from those types of homes. The shayateen, they will not enter the homes where plentiful remembrance of Allah occurs, where supplication, prayers, Qur'an, they are occurring within that household, then the shayateen, they do not enter those types of places, those types of homes. وَنَشَأْ أَهْلُ الْبُيُوتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالذُرِّيَّةِ وَالسَّاكِنِينَ فِيهَا عَلَى طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ وَصَارَتْ هَذِهِ الْبُيُوتِ مَدَارِسَ خَيْرٍ يَتَخَرَّجُ مِنْهَا الْمُسْلِمُ الْمُوَحِّدِ So these homes that have within them the remembrance of Allah those homes, the women within them, and the children within them, and all of those whom reside within them, then they will be raised upon the obedience to Allah. They will be raised upon the obedience and worship and implementation of the Sunnah, because all of that is occurring within that particular household. And so these homes, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, these homes, they become like schools where the children are being raised, educated upon the Sunnah. يَتَخَرَّجُ مِنْهَا الْمُسْلِمُ الْمُوَحِّدِ That these homes the people who exit from them, they will be the people of Tawheed. Those Muslims in those homes will grow up upon Tawheed as Muwahidun because their homes were filled with the remembrance of Allah. Their homes were filled with the recitation of the Quran, the speech of Allah. Their homes were filled with prayer they will then grow up in that environment of Tawheed and Ibadah. And so their homes, they are like schools. أَمَّا إِذَا كَانَتْ هَذِهِ الْبُيُوتِ خَالِيَةِ مِنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ أَهْلَهَا يَعِيشُونَ فِي الْجَهْلِ وَيَعِيشُونَ فِي الْغَفْلَةِ وَيُصِيرُونَ مِثْلَ الْمَوْتَى As for the homes that are empty from the remembrance of Allah, and there is no remembrance of Allah occurring within them, no prayer, no Qur'an, no supplication, they are empty and void, from the remembrance of Allah, then the people who live in such households, then they are living in jahl. They are living upon ignorance, and they are living upon negligence, and they become like the deceased. They are walking, they are eating, but they are like the deceased. Because the one who does not have any remembrance in his heart for Allah, even if he is still living and eating and walking, in reality, he is deceased. His heart is deceased. No remembrance, no dua, no Qur'an, 
no supplication, no prayer, then that individual is like a dead person, even if he's alive, eating and walking. فَمَا بَالُكُمْ إِذَا خَلَتِ الْبُيُوتُ مِنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَجُلِبَ إِلَيْهَا وَسَائِلُ الشَّرْ مِنَ الْأَفْلَامَ الْخَلِيعَةِ وَجُلِبَ إِلَيْهَا الْجِهَازِ الَّذِي يَسْتَقْبِلُ مَحَطَّاتِ التَّلْفِزِيُونِ مِنَ الْعَالَمِ بِمَا فِيهَا مِنْ فَسَادٍ وَخَلَاعَةٍ ومجون وكفر وإلحاد وشرور عظيمة كلها تدخل في هذا البيت بواسطة هذا الجهاز الشيطاني الذي ينصبه صاحب البيت ماذا تكون هذه البيوت الشيخ says that these homes that are absent from the remembrance of Allah. And instead, what you see in those homes is that the means to evil have been brought in. The means to evil have been brought into those homes. And the Shaykh he is referring to here, Al-Jihaz. الذي يستقبل محطات التلفزيون. These devices that broadcast the various forms of television channels, whether it be a TV or other devices these days that the people watch the different stations and channels upon, and the evil content is found on those various channels the corruption is found on those channels disbelief and all types of evil are found within these channels and all of this evil enters into the home of that person via this device that the sheikh calls Al-Jihaz al-Shaytani This satanic device The satanic device Meaning your ability to access All of these different channels All of these different stations All of the broadcast that occurs Whether it's a TV or other devices But you have access to all of those channels on there and they are broadcasting within your homes, and they are being watched in your homes, then that is a satanic device <coughs> that the person puts up in his home. The sheikh says, those kinds of homes, ماذا تكون هذه البيوت? What are those homes going to end up like? What is going to be the state of those kinds of homes they are going to end up as homes for the shaitan they are the types of homes that the shaitan desires those kinds of homes they are not just like the graveyards they are more than that even because the homes that are just like the graves or the graveyards, they are the homes where no remembrance of Allah is being done and that's it. But as for the homes where no remembrance of Allah is being done, and then on top of that, these evil stations and channels and broadcasts are occurring within those homes, <coughs> then that is a level even worse, and that is where the shayateen will gather around. تَكُونُ مَأْوَى لِلشَّيَاطِينَ وَيَتَخَرَّجُ مِنْهَا أَشْرَارُ مِنَ الذُّرِّيَّةِ وَالنِّسَاءِ Those kinds of households is where you will expect to see the evil offspring arise from.
the children growing up upon an evil nurturing and evil cultivation because of the types of things they see and are given access to in that household. So you will see that the children and the women of that household, they are upon corruption due to all of that availability of evil in their own home. يُصَاحِبُهُمْ عَدَمُ One of the things that you will notice from the women in particular of those types of households that they have no shyness from all of the evil that they see on the TVs, on the stations and channels and how the women behave, then they themselves are impacted by all of that and they have no shyness. And the men from everything they see and the evil that they are uh, exposed to then they no longer have the ghira, the pride and the honor and the jealousy in protecting their family and protecting their wives. And instead you will find from the likes of those families in those homes, that they are inclined to the evil affairs and the evil things. And then you find them wanting to practice the same kinds of things that they see in the television. You see the kids wanting to do the same types of evil that they see being presented to them in the television. You see the parents wanting to behave in a way that they see these people on the television behaving. And so they are taken away by that corruption. سَيُطَبِّقُونَ هَذِهِ الْأُمُورَ الَّتِي يَرَوْنَهَا وَيُشَاهِدُونَهَا وَتُؤَثِّرُ عَلَىٰ أَخْلَاقِهِمْ وَعَلَىٰ عِفَتِهِمْ And that television, not necessarily the device, the TV, but what is coming through it, all of those channels, all of that evil and corruption, they impact upon the manners of a person. They impact upon the character of a person. And upon the decency of a person. When you are exposed to that type of evil so often, then you become impacted by it also. And so you begin to lose your shyness and your decency in behavior and action because these people they show you on the programs and the storylines and various things there is no decency in them there is no good character and good etiquette and moral in them it is all corruption and deception and evil that occurs there is no decency in their behavior and so the muslims who allow this in their homes they will begin to be impacted by those affairs and start to lose their decency and their manners. And then step by step, <coughs> they will end up becoming lazy with their prayers. They will end up becoming lazy with their prayers. In fact, they will even end up missing prayers because of it. Their program is on and they end up missing the prayer because of it. Their football match is on, they end up missing the prayer because of it. So the Shaykh says eventually that's what happens. Those Muslims in that household will end up forgetting about their prayer and wasting their prayer because they cannot drag themselves away from this device, from their channels and what they watch. They say, look at these people in the channels and the shows and everything. They say, look at how advanced people are, the various TV shows and things that they 
watch. They say, look at the world. Look at these things that we've heard about and we've seen on the TV. Look at how advanced the kuffar are. Now look at how miskeen we are. And so they begin to be impressed by the non-Muslims, impressed by the disbelievers. And so they say, look, that's what life is. That's how we should be. That's how we should be living from what they see on the programs. And the Sheikh says, سَيَقُولُونَ هَذَا شِئْتُمْ أَمْ أَبَيْتُمْ أَيُّهَا الْآبَاءِ The Sheikh says, your families will end up like this, saying these kinds of things, whether you like it or not, O oh fathers. Why is he addressing the fathers? What about the mothers and the children and the rest of the family? Why is he addressing the fathers? The shepherds. Because the fathers, they are the shepherds, <coughs> they are the ones in responsibility for the household. If the father allows that TV to come in, allows all of those channels and subscriptions to the different programs and broadcasts and different affairs, he allows all of that to come in and all types of channels, the children flicking through them and the evil and the corruption and the indecency that they see. The Sheikh says whether you like it or not, this end result of this corruption is going to occur to you. That is what it is going to end up at. And you are the reason and the cause behind it. If the fathers, the man of the household, those in responsibility are allowing all of that in their homes, they have all of those hundreds of channels to flick through and watch all types of things and they give that to their families, then you are the ones who are the cause behind this corruption. You are the ones who are going to be questioned on the day of judgment before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah mentioned in the Quran, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara wa quuduhan nasu wal hijara. O oh, you who believe, protect yourselves and your families from the fire. Its fuel is men and stone. You have not protected yourself and you have not protected your families if you allow all of that evil into your homes. In fact, you've done the opposite. Instead of protecting yourselves and your families, you have opened up the door to destruction for yourselves and your families. So the Sheikh then says, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, اِتَّقُوا اللَّهَ يَا مَنُ ابْتِلِيتُمْ بِهَذِهِ الْآلَةِ الْخَبِيثَةِ Fear Allah, those who have been tested and tried by this evil device, meaning the channels and the TVs, أَزِيلُوهَا عَنْ بُيُوتِكُمْ Remove it from your homes. And it doesn't necessarily mean the devices, even a television. A person may have a television in his home with absolutely no possibility of broadcasting anything on it, no possibility of any channels, nothing. It is just a screen that he hooks his laptop up to. Permissible then, of course, no problem. But the issue here is having these devices and then opening them up to all of this evil. Nowadays, what comes on the TV, you can get all of those channels on your laptop, on your uh, iPad, and all these things, they work all in the same way now. So it is not necessarily about a particular device, but it is about what is accessed upon those devices, and what is broadcast, and what channels and all these affairs, they come into your home. <coughs> that is what you must get rid of. So then the Sheikh says, فَالرَّسُولُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ يَقُولُ لَا تَجْعَلُوا بُيُوتَكُمْ قُبُورًا Do not make your homes like graves. 
وَأَمَرَكُمْ بِالْعِنَايَ بِالْبُيُوتِ So the Prophet ﷺ commanded us to take care and give importance to our households. بِأَنْ تَعْمِرُوهَا بِطَاعَةِ اللَّهِ That you fill your homes with the remembrance of Allah. And the Messenger told us, أَنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَفِرُّ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ الَّذِي تُقْرَأُ فِيهِ سُورَةُ الْبَقَرَةِ that the shaitan flees from a house that Surah Al-Baqarah is recited in. وَقَالْ إِنَّهَا لَا تُطِيقُهَا الْبَطَلَةِ That the shayateen, they cannot handle it. They cannot burden it. They can't bear it when they hear the recitation of Surah Al-Baqarah. فَتَنَبَّهُ لِبُيُوتِكُمْ So the shaykh says, pay attention regarding your homes. Do not make them like the graves. Rather, the home should be an Islamic household, not a household that is neglected, a household where you yourselves bring in the affairs of destruction for your families and your children. Also, <coughs> in the hadith we are being told to make our homes or build our homes upon the remembrance of Allah but this also therefore shows that the graveyards are not places of worship they are not places of worship they are not places to go and pray they are not places to go pray the supererogatory or to recite the Qur'an or to be making dua uh, 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 in the graveyards in an open way. Like we said, there are certain affairs in the sunnah that are permissible, even the janazah prayer. You could pray it in the graveyard and giving the salam and making dua for the deceased. But outside of those affairs that are mentioned in the sunnah, then worship otherwise, going there reciting the Qur'an, going there praying supererogatory prayers or other affairs, they are not to be done at the graves. فَالْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ بِمَفْهُومِهِ عَلَى مَنْعِ الصَّلَاةِ عِنْدَ الْقَبْرِ Therefore the hadith indicates by its meaning the impermissibility of praying at the grave. وَمَنْعِ الدُّعَاءِ عِنْدَ الْقُبُرِ and the impermissibility of making du'a at the graves, other than what we said is mentioned, specified. The second point, that was the first point of the hadith. Do not make your homes like graves. The second point in the hadith, the messenger said, لا تجعلوا قبري عيدا Do not make my grave an Eid. An Eid in the Arabic language, it refers to something that returns on a repetitive basis. Something that comes back and repeats on a repetitive basis. So why do we call Eid Eid? Because it repeats repeats and comes back every year every year at the end of ramadan it's eid it repeats and comes back every year every year 10th of the hijjah it is eid it comes back and repeats itself at that time so an eid in the arabic language is something that comes back and repeats itself so here when the messenger said, don't make my grave an Eid, then it is going to be in reference to not visiting it on a fixed and repetitive schedule. And that is the detail we'll come to in a moment. Firstly though, the Sheikh he highlights that when it comes to Eid, something repetitive that returns, then there are two types of Eid. There is an Eid in terms of the time zones 
and there is an Eid in, in terms of the locations. An Eid can occur upon the time zones and an Eid can occur upon the locations. As for the time zone Eids, then you have, for example, Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha. And you could say, as a general statement as well, you have the weekly Eid of of Friday of Jum'ah. Well, and then he mentions there are obviously impermissible time zone associated Eids, like for example, birthdays. Birthdays are a time associated Eid. The day you were born comes back every year. But of course the Sheikh says that is a haram celebration of that particular Eid. Or other types of Eids that they used to celebrate in the times of Jahiliyyah. Eids that would repeat themselves and they would come back on an annual basis or monthly basis or weekly basis. Something that repeats and comes back again and again. They had many other types of days in Jahiliyyah, but all of those are wiped out by Islam and none of those celebrations are legitimate. <coughs> so Islamically, we only have the two Eids. We have Eid al-Fitr. What does al-Fitr mean? Why are they called Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha? What do the two names mean? Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha. Correct. Fitr in the Arabic language refers to opening your fast, breaking your fast. So after 30 days or 29 days of fasting, the next day you break your month of fasting. That is Eid al-Fitr. And Eid al-Adha, why is it known as al-Adha? Because that word in Arabic from the same family tree of words indicating the sacrifice. On an Eid al-Adha, the sacrificing occurs, the slaughtering of the animals occurs, so it is known as Eid al-Adha. وَكُلُّ عِيدٍ مِنْ هَذَيْنِ الْعِيدَيْنِ بَعْدَ أَدَارُكًا مِنْ أَرْكَانِ الْإِسْلَامِ Both of the Eids that are legislated Islamically they are both after a pillar from the pillars of Islam. So Eid al-Fitr comes after the pillar of fasting. And Eid al-Adha comes at the pillar of Hajj. Then the other types of Eid are the locational Eids. Locations that can be considered as Eids, as places of repetitive visitation. Some of these are permissible, some of them are not. The permissible types are the ones that are established Islamically, for example, the mosques. It could be said that there are five Eids in the mosque every day, locationally. Because all the Muslims, they come to the location of the mosque five times a day. That is established, that locational Eid, by coming to the location of the mosque five times a day, that is established. Similarly, once in the week, coming to the location of the mosque for the Jumu'ah, that is a weekly Eid for time zone and you could say location by getting together in the masjid. Also, al-masjid al-haram, the masjid in Mecca, established as a locational Eid. People go to visit that and of course for Umrah and Hajj, you have to go to visit that. Mina, Arafah, Muzdalifa, all of those kinds of places, they are locational Eids meaning there are places of repetitive visitation, people go there all the time. 
Hajj, you have to go to Mina, Arafah, Muzdalifa. Every year those locations are filled with the people. Al-Masjid Al-Haram, regularly people going there. These are locational Eids, places of repetitive visitation. Then there are locational Eids that are impermissible. For example, at the graves, Al-Ijtima' عند القبور سواء قبر الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم أو قبر غيره Getting together and congregating at the graves that is of course an impermissible type of locational Eid. So here then when the messenger said لا تجعلوا قبري عيدا do not make my grave an Eid then it is in reference to the location do not make the location of my grave an Eid, a place of repetitive visitation, a place of prayer there, a place of dua there. Do not make my grave of that nature. And this shows how the Messenger wanted to preserve Tawheed. هذا من حمايته صلى الله عليه وسلم لجناب التوحيد ففيه شاهد للباب من حيث إن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم نهى عن اتخاذ قبره عيدا أي مكانا يجتمع عند عنده للعبادة. So this shows how the messenger prevented and stopped any type of shirk or any type of issue occurring in the boundaries of Tawheed by preventing the people from coming to his grave on a regular basis making dua there, prayer there, he explicitly said it, do not do that. So that's why we mentioned last time, the Sahaba, they used to go to the grave of the messenger only, occasionally, occasionally they used to go there, maybe if they went traveling somewhere, and then they came back to Medina, they would go to the grave and give salam to the Prophet wasallam. But they would not make any type of routine out of that every day after Fajr to go and visit or every day on Jumu'ah to go and visit or every day after this particular prayer or that prayer or every week or every month. They did not do that and the Messenger prohibited us from doing that. Then the last thing which is mentioned in the Hadith is where the Messenger said the third thing now, وَصَلُّوا عَلَيَّ فَإِنَّ صَلَاتَكُمْ تَبْلُغُنِي حَيْثُ كُنْتُمْ And send your salutations, your prayers upon me, because that reaches me wherever you are. And this is mentioned in the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا that oh, uh, indeed Allah and the angels, they send their prayers upon the Prophet. O oh, you who believe, send your prayers upon him and the safety uh, for him, that the safety be upon him. So here Allah commanded us to send the prayers and the salutations upon the Prophet wasallam. And the meaning of it, when you say sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what is the meaning of that? When you say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what is the meaning of that? Dua, we ask Allah to send mercy on Prophet Dua, asking Allah to send mercy upon the Prophet. Anybody else, anything more specific? What does sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mean? Asking Allah to make mention of him in the gathering of the angels. So it is mentioned in a hadith, that sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is in reference to the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the highest gatherings. In the gatherings of those who are in the heavens, Allah mentions the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and praises the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that is what you are asking for, that is what you are mentioning when you say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That may Allah make mention of him in the highest of gatherings. And what is it exactly? What is it for the angels to then do? 
It is that the angels seek forgiveness. The angels then seek forgiveness. وَمِنَ الْآدَمِيِّينَ الدُّعَاءَ كَمَا ذَكَرَ الْإِمَامُ الْبُخَارِ عَنَبِ الْعَالِيَةِ And as for the humans, the people, they make that supplication for the messenger, they make that dua for the messenger. And Allah mentions the messenger in the highest of gatherings. And the angels, they seek forgiveness. All of that revolves around sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Prophet sallallahu said, make that, make that dua, that supplication upon me, and it will reach me wherever you are. <laughs> Shaykh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi, Hafizahullah ta'ala used to say, in his lessons in the Haram, especially at Hajj time and uh, uh, Ramadan time, when there were a lot of general folk who had come from different places, different countries, he would say to them, most of you, I expect when you left your countries, your families and your people said to you, take my salam to the Prophet Take my salam to the messenger when you go to Medina. He used to say, why? Why are they going to ask you to take their salam to the messenger? When the Prophet says in the hadith, send your salams upon me, your salutations upon me from wherever you are. And it reaches me from wherever you are. And the Shaykh used to say, why have the people entrusted you to go take their salam to the messenger? When the messenger says, it will reach me from wherever you are. And in narrations it mentions how the angels take that to the messenger. And if that is the case, then why are you the one being entrusted with that? Anything could happen to you. You may not even make it to Medina on your trip. Some accident may happen. This may happen. That may happen. You may forget. Why are the people entrusting others take my salam to the messenger? There is no sunnah for that. Rather, you do your supplications and you do your du'as and your, uh, from wherever you are, that reaches the messenger. It is even mentioned that it is an obligation to do this in certain places. For example, فَتَجِبُ فِي الْخُطْبَتَيْنِ لِلْجُمْعَةِ In the Jum'ah khutbah. You have to make mention of the salutations upon the Prophet ﷺ. And in the Eid, and in the sermon that is done in the rain prayer. So in those cases, and also in the tashahud, when you're in the prayer sitting at the end and do the tashahud, the final tashahud, then there are salutations upon the messenger there too. And generally whenever... تَجِبُوا الصَّلَاءَ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ عِنْدَ ذِكْرِهِ Whenever you hear the name of the messenger or you mention the name of the messenger, you are supposed to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it is incorrect. <coughs> it is incorrect what people do with writing that they write S-A-W. They write Muhammad and then in brackets S-A-W, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, S-A-W. And in Arabic there is a version of that too, salah or sa'lal, with a sa'ad lam ayn, as an abbreviation for sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The muhaddithun, they used to say this is not befitting. It is incorrect, you should not be making abbreviations for sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fully and completely. And you do not make abbreviations for it, not even in writing. So it is incorrect to say S-A-W. Shouldn't say that. It is better that you do the full thing and you write the whole thing out, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or the full meaning of it thereafter. So the messenger said, فَإِنَّ صَلَاتَكُمْ تَبْلُغُنِي حَيْثُ كُنْتُمْ That your prayers, they reach me from wherever you may be. So, في هذا الحديث دليل على أنه ليس للصلاة عليه عند قبره خاصية. 
The hadith therefore proves there is no specific prayer to be prayed at the Prophet's grave. There is no specific prayer to be prayed at the Prophet's grave. And there is no special reward for that. بَلْ إِذَا قَصَدَ الْإِنسَانُ الْقَبْرَ لِأَجْلِ الصَّلَاءِ عَلَيْهِ فَهَذَا مَنْهِيُنْ عَنْهُ In fact, if a person specifically has the intention, I want to go to the grave and pray there, then that is prohibited. That's an incorrect intention. To say, I'm going to go to the grave of the messenger and pray to raka'at. Incorrect. That is not a suitable intention or a correct intention. That is prohibited. لَكِنْ إِذَا قَصَدَ قَبْرَهُ لِلسَّلَامِ عَلَيْهِ وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِ فَهَذَا مَشْرُوعَ but if you intend to go to the grave to give salam and to do the, the prayers upon the messenger like that, that is permissible. فَتُسَلِّمْ وَتُسَلِّ عَلَى الرَّسُولِ عِنْدَ قَبْرِهِ إِذَا قَدِمْتَ مِنْ سَفَرٍ أَمَّا أَنْ تَقْصُدَهُ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ تَجْلِسَ وَتَقِفَ وَتُسَلِّ عَلَيْهِ دائماً فهذا غير مشروع لأنه مطلوب منك الصلاة والسلام عليه في أي مكان. So as for specifying the grave of the messenger for worship, Specifying the grave to do any particular dua, to do any particular supplication, to do any particular prayer. Specifying the grave in that way is incorrect and impermissible. And this narration is one of the evidences to highlight that. Do not make my grave and heed, the messenger said. Send your prayers upon me from wherever you are. No need to specify having to go to the grave to give the salam and to do the salutation sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This all proves that there is no special status for your worship to be done at the grave. Rather, it's incorrect for a person to make the intention of going to the grave to do that. So that hadith is one of the evidences highlighting how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam preserved tawheed because if this was opened up. If the grave of the messenger was made accessible, then no doubt there would be a huge amount of misguidance the people would go and fall into. A huge amount of corruption the people would go and uh, implement and perform at the grave of the messenger. So by his own statement, his own hadith here, the Prophet ﷺ warned us against doing that at his grave in protection of Tawheed and in blocking all avenues to shirk. That is where we'll conclude today. Inshallah ta'ala, the final narration will finish it off in the next session to finish this particular chapter. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. If there's anything to add or any questions, you may do so now. So it mentioned that it's unbefitting, it's incorrect to short abbreviate Sallallahu with SWA or Sallallahu Nowadays, a lot of it, Muslims they even abbreviate the Sallallahu Alaihi when you say Salam or something like that. Salam by itself isn't the full uh, statement of greeting. Salam by itself isn't. That's not the full statement of greeting. Assalamu Alaikum. That's the minimum. Assalamu alaykum. That's the minimum salam. Not just to say salam. Assalamu alaykum. That's the minimum. Then assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. But the minimum is assalamu alaykum. Not to take it even further down to just salam. Assalamu alaykum. More specifically, when they write it, though. So we want, even writing it, it's not good just to write salam. You should assalamu alaikum. How much longer is assalamu alaikum to salam? People, they want everything in the shortest form possible. Assalamu alaikum. The messenger when he used to write his letters, assalamu alaikum, not just salam. Hmm. Anybody else? Hmm. The, the general opinion is that the best way to pray taraweeh for the men is in the masjid, in the jama'ah. If you pray at home, in your jama'ah at home, it's permissible, it's correct, it's valid. It's permissible and correct and valid, no doubt. 
But it's better to pray in the jama'ah with the masjid if possible. If not, and you pray it in jama'ah by yourself at home, in your jama'ah, that is permissible and it is correct. It is valid. Even if a person just prayed by himself at home, your tarawih is still valid and permissible and correct. But it's about the afdaliyah, which is superior and better. And the most superior and better is that you come and pray in the big jama'ah in the masjid. For the men, the women, they can pray at home amongst themselves if they're not able to come to the masjid in their congregation or by themselves. Even if you don't know a lot of the Qur'an, if a person needs to pray by yourselves at home, for the women, for example, they want to pray, but they don't know a lot of the Qur'an, then in that scenario, some of the scholars, they say, it is permissible to hold a mushaf and to recite from it in that specific scenario. But when you come to the mosque and the imam is leading the prayer, it is not permissible for people to be holding the mushaf, as many people do, to follow along with the imam's recitation. That is incorrect. The only person allowed to do that is who? Well, the imam maybe, if the imam doesn't know, hasn't memorized it properly, maybe, but from the congregation, who's allowed to do that? A designated person. A designated person for what? Exactly. So if the imam says he's going to recite from memory, but he's a little bit uncertain about some parts, he thinks he might make mistakes and things, so he says to one brother in the congregation, you have a mushaf and follow along with my recitation. Because I'm a bit unsure about certain parts, you follow along. If I make a mistake, you can definitely correct me. It may be the case that maybe there are not hafaz in the audience in the congregation, or he specifically selects one person because he does have some uncertainty about some affairs. So then if he selects one person, he can hold it. But everybody else should not be holding a mushaf to follow the imam's recitation. Anybody else? There's family members that are averse to the Salafi matter or the Salafi way, and you're implementing some sunnah within your household, and this bothers them, this might distance them further away from it. Let's say you wipe over the socks or you raise your hands, uh, if you do all this and it makes them more averse, is it best to not do it in front of them and then just get them introduced to the fundamentals and then maybe just avoid these things in front of them? Sunnah actions, if it is like the scenario you described, you have, for example, a family who is very staunch on a particular methodology or way that they grew upon or what their education is on, and all of a sudden now one of the sons of the household or one of their children understands Salafiya, understands the Sunnah, so he comes home or she comes home and starts practicing certain Sunnah actions. The obligations, there's no leeway in the obligations. You've got to do those. The son comes home and says, I have to grow my beard. The father says, no, you're not going to do that. The mother says, no, don't do that. Then, of course, there's no leeway there. You grow your beard. There is no... Uh, you cannot obey anybody in creation in disobedience to the Creator. So you'll have to explain to your parents about the obligations. But the Sunnah actions... Sunnah actions, if it was like that kind of scenario, the parents, they don't want to see you wiping over the socks, for example. They're upon, as they say, the Hanafi methodology or whatever it might be, and they refuse to accept that this is valid. They think your prayer is batil now, your, your wudu is batil, and they refuse to accept any of this. Then that isn't a point of argumentation. It isn't a point of argumentation. If that is going to create a problem and it is going to create more of an issue for them to accept from you, then khalas, just spend an extra five seconds, take off your socks and wash your feet. Have you committed a sin by doing that? Not at all. The wiping of the socks is a permission. It is a license given to you, a permission given to you. But if taking that permission means there's a greater harm that's going to occur, whereby your parents don't want to listen to you now, they say, you've lost it, you, what are you doing, you don't understand anything, and they don't even want to discuss and talk about the affairs of Tawheed, and those matters of importance because of this issue, or some other fiqh type of issue, then it is permissible to leave aside some of the sunnah and fiqh types of issues for the sake of these greater affairs. And the example they give sometimes, I mentioned it before, they say, if you go to a place 
where they claim they are Maliki. And some of those who claim they are Maliki when they pray, Allahu Akbar, they put their hands down by their sides. And that was because of the story of Ali Malik when he was beaten and he wasn't able to raise his hands. But then some of them, they took that as though it was some evidence to put your hands down by your side. So they say if a Salafi or a Sunni went to a place where all of them, they pray like that. You go to a village and they have all been raised upon that madhab, upon that understanding. They don't know anything else. They think this is some bid'ah or something. What are you doing? It's here. So if you go to a place like that, some of the scholars, they said it is even permissible for you to pray with them with your hands down by your side. Because if you put them up there, straight away they will say, Khalas, this man is not one of us. Don't listen to him. Everybody quick, no one speak to him. No one listen to him. As soon as you start to try and give da'wah, they will say, no, 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 come, come, come. Don't listen to him. Did you see how he was praying? So then the scholars, they say it's permissible for you to pray with your hands down by your side. Because putting your hands on the chest, it is not one of the affairs that nullifies or invalidates or anything of your prayer. It is a sunnah action to have your hands upon the chest. It is not a rukhan of the prayer or a wajib of the prayer. So they say, okay, in that case you could do that for the greater maslah. So there may be things in your household, you have to be wise about them. That certain affairs, you don't want to cause issues over certain affairs that are not as important as the primary affairs of Tawheed and these matters. You want to be able to discuss those issues with your parents and your uh, extended family, and you don't want any blockade to come, any obstacle to arise from other smaller issues that are not that important compared to the aqidah points that need to be addressed first. So it is permissible to either, uh, either not do that in front of them. I mean, wiping over the socks, for example, how would they ever know? You go to the bathroom, you make wudu, how would they ever know? So certain things, you can do them by yourselves, just not in their uh, 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 vision, not in front of them. But if there are certain things cannot be avoided, you're in the jama'ah, and uh, they expect you to pray in a certain way, or, or certain sunnah actions they don't believe in, and they're absolutely going to have a huge problem if you do those things, then maybe you can leave certain sunnah actions for a while to open up discussion with them and... Uh, make apparent the affairs of Tawheed and other things first before addressing these other points. Um, in some mosques, they do have a habit of making sending salawat to the Prophet after salah, but they do it in some sort of chants and, and, and some melody and so on and so forth. Is walking away from it and not taking part from it in, in, in those types of gatherings is that. They're walking away, is it a sin? I mean, no, as in like abandoning after, after you pray, uh. when once they start doing this and you walk away from it and not take part, is that, is that a sin? No, how can that be a sin? I mean, what they are doing is the incorrect action. Yes, but they mentioned the Prophet's name and you're not saying Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, for example. Ah, but uh, what they are doing there, it's a bid'ah though. What they are doing is a bid'ah. For you, it is good. To get up and leave and to excuse yourself from that gathering. Their, their action there, their remembrance, how they are doing it, this congregational remembrance after the prayer, they all together, sallallahu ala, and all those kind of things they do. That's a, it's an innovative practice anyway. It is not from the sunnah to do that congregational type of remembrance in that way. But when the Prophet's name is mentioned, by not saying sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are you possibly sitting there? No, because if we say that, that would mean the only thing you can do is stay sitting down and participate. And you have to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, every time you hear the name. That's not an obligation upon you. It cannot be that a bid'ah is uh, uh, occurring and that you have to then participate to avoid sin. That can't be the case. Rather, a bid'ah is occurring, you are not to participate in that. You can leave. And then you do your own remembrance. After the prayer, they start that immediately. You start your own remembrance your dhikr uh, uh, and the various du'as and supplications and you busy yourself with that and leave and have nothing to do with this. Anybody else? Oh, sorry, going back to the other one when he was talking about like um, the sunnah to follow the family, is that the same with like having Muhammad and Allah in the household that like, when family members have this, you know, when they have like coats or even idols kursi or when they have like surah or yasin and they say repeat this certain amount of times framed up inside the house, uh, would you then take it down or would you just give? Like, no, no, taking things down from the household, 
This uh, now goes back to Man ra'a minkum munkaran fal yughayyirhu biyadi fa'in lam yastadayh fa bilisani fa'in lam yastadayh fa biqalbi wa dhalika adahu al-iman Whoever sees an evil, you change it with your hand. But the changing of an evil with a hand is only for the one who has authority to do so. It's important to remember, it is only for the one who has authority to do so, to change an evil with his hand. So now the son comes along and starts doing all sorts to the house. He is not the person in authority. His father may come and beat him up. His father is the person in authority. You have no choice. You are not in charge of the house. So if there are other affairs, you will speak to them. The lisan you can do. The lisan, speak to your father, speak to the other members of the household, explain to them why it's incorrect to have Ya Allah, Ya Muhammad and these things on the walls. Explain to them about the, the ayat and it's not a portrait and a decoration you should make. You can explain those things. But if you take all of those down, then there'll be corruption in your household. You're not in charge. So changing the evil, it has its levels. If you have authority, if you were the man of the house, of course, do what you want in the house. But if you're not, then it's with the tongue. And if you cannot even do it with your tongue, they will not hear a word from you. Then you hate it in your heart at least. It's hard to give salah in parts of some morning and evening, ten times. I don't remember that. Maybe, I don't. Anybody else? You know the word fasl and salli is a have a and the word fasl and salli fasl fasl ilaw yom al fasl and call call and fasl. Then they have any connection with salli. The word itself fasl fasl yom al fasl and call and fasl. The fasl word fasl have any connection any link with word salli. Not, not, no direct connection there. Fossil has different meanings in those different ayat. How you put it together. Fossil can mean like a criteria, a separation between two things. But all of those ayat, they have their independent meanings in the tafsir, you'll see. They're not directly connected. Anybody else? Nifaq can be done by ourselves. Nifaq. Nifaq, there are two types of nifaq, two types of hypocrisy. One is a nifaq al-i'tiqadi and one is a nifaq al-amali. A nifaq al-i'tiqadi is the hypocrisy of the heart where a person has no iman in his heart, he's only pretending upon his limbs. That's the hypocrisy of the munafiqoon at the time of the Prophet so they are kuffar fi dark al-asfali min al-nar in the lowest pits of the fire. The other type of hypocrisy is not hypocrisy of iman and belief but hypocrisy of action. So upon your belief, you're upon Tawheed, but you commit hypocrisy in action. Like the narrations, the one who lies, the one who uh, betrays, the one who uh, is entrusted with something but is treacherous. All of those characteristics are characteristics of hypocrisy. That is hypocrisy in action. That doesn't make a person kafir. But the hypocrisy of the heart makes a person kafir. What about if someone believes they should pray but out of laziness they don't is that's that... another issue altogether the one who believes that they should pray but they don't pray out of laziness then there's a difference of opinion between the scholars as to whether he is deemed a kafir or not the one who leaves the prayer to castle and what all right we'll conclude upon that for today then inshallah ta'ala in the next session we'll finish off the rest of the chapter mm-hmm.